Thank you, God. I was just, as we were worshiping today, I was just laughing, actually, in a, in a, not laughing, just I had this smile because I was thinking coming into God's presence is not a struggle. Amen. It's never meant to be a struggle. Coming to church is a struggle. <laughs> yeah, coming to church sometimes is a struggle. I mean, you got to figure out what you're going to wear and if you wore it the previous week or when was the last time you wore that. I don't know. Sometimes it's just hard to not hit snooze on that alarm too. Coming to God's presence is never supposed to be a struggle. It never is a struggle because of the confidence we have because of what Jesus has already done. It's never been in our own ability. We come because of what he's done. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This morning I just reflecting on and and on God's amazing grace once again, and and it just uh, put it this way: I was really emotional, I guess, if you could use the word. When I reflected on his grace once again, this, especially towards the last part of the week. Because you realize, and I realize, and I don't know when is the last time you specifically thought about it in terms of if it wasn't for God's amazing grace, I would not be here. And as I was reflecting on that, I just, I was moved in my heart and my spirit. And I was reading and what really brought me uh, to this, to this, I was just reading the story of the, in Luke, reading through the gospel of Luke. And you read the story of the 10 lepers that, that uh, came to Jesus in Luke. I think it's 17, if I'm not mistaken, Luke 17, these 10 lepers come to Jesus. And they ask Jesus, basically they cry out to Jesus and Jesus, you know, he, he says, what? Go show yourselves to the priests. And so they say, go show yourselves to the priests. And these lepers start making this journey. And, and as they headed towards this temple or wherever these priests were, they were healed. Y'all know, most of you know the story I'm talking about. Otherwise, go ahead and read Luke 17. It is in Luke 17. And as they're walking too, they've not been, Jesus didn't touch them or speak healing or whatever. But as they were walking towards the, uh, to show themselves to the priests, they were healed. And then it says, the Bible says, but only one of them came back to Jesus, fell at his feet and said, thank you. And the Bible makes pretty sure to tell us, to let us know that this man was actually a Samaritan who came back. And if you read anything, I mean, you've, you know the story of the good Samaritan. You know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. And then you have, again, there's this mention of the Samaritan 
again, and, and for sure, Jesus is trying to make a point there. But, I mean, that's not my sermon. But he makes it a point there to show us or tell us that this person, there was only one person who came back to say thank you. And I know this whole narrative, uh, this whole story kind of points towards gratitude. But in the midst of this, you see a glimpse of God's grace here too. Because you see, you really see this glimpse of the, let me put it, the magnitude of God's grace. Because if, if the story ended with, and Jesus blessed towards the end, and Jesus blessed that one grateful leper, and the rest of the nine ungrateful lepers were punished and were afflicted by leprosy again by the end of the day. I don't think any of us would really have a problem though because, you know, if the story ended like that, I don't think too many people would, would complain because those people were ungrateful. But we see God's grace that comes through this, even not directly, but you see it because grace kind of trumps over justice and what's right back there because they didn't deserve it yet they got it i've challenged and i've done this to a number of people and people i've talked to and i know when i was at sagu the people i who worked i mean the ras as such who worked with me and i always ask this question it's kind of like a side note but would you rather be right or be good would you rather be right or be good? Something that I want you all to think about and meditate on probably sometime whenever you get a chance. Because sometimes we are so... Because you think about God. God is good. And that's who I want to be like. Sometimes being right. I mean, I know both of them go close in hand, but there are times. Sometimes they're the same thing, but sometimes they're so different. And I would rather err on the side of being good than always proving that I am right. Anyway, God's grace, again, we've defined it as God's favor that's shown to those who really don't deserve it, especially in the light of these, these lepers. And that's the challenge of grace. Because it's always, and I always use this phrase, and you've probably heard me, I've been here a couple of years now, I always talk about the scandalous nature of grace, how much it really challenges us challenges us the very nature of grace itself challenges us because we live in a world that is that you know where we we help people who really deserve the help in a world where reward and and punishment and and you have this you know that's how it works you work hard and you are blessed if you don't work hard you you're not going to benefit from anything and yet you, you have this absolutely absurd concept of grace that gets thrown in there Truth is, you cannot call it grace if someone deserved it. You can't call it grace because it's, if someone deserved it, it's not grace because that becomes a reward. Because you're just rewarding something that he has worked hard for. I know I use this example too. It's like if at the end of a month, how many of you, you know, you put in your whole work, for, you work for a whole month and then you get a paycheck. How many of you say, wow, I don't really deserve this check. <laughs> None of us say that. Because that's a reward. We work for something. But that's so different from what grace is all about. Amazing grace. That's the nature. And I honestly feel grace, church, 
Grace is one of the main things that sets us up, real believers and followers and disciples of Christ, that sets us, up, uh, sets us apart from the world. Because we operate under grace, or we ought to under, operate under grace, because it's by grace that we are saved. It is by grace that we are saved. Matthew 20, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to read... Uh, Verses 1 through 16. It's a familiar passage and I've, I've, I've preached from this passage several times in my, you know, I've read this passage so many times. It's a great, great picture for the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is like a landowner it's one of the parables, basically. A landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you what is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day, all day long doing nothing? Verse 7, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who, uh, so when those came who, sorry, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for the denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This whole, I've titled this chapter, The Challenge of Grace, because I think we use the word grace like the word love has, has kind of lost its, uh, its real original meaning to, to just everything we use today, so commonly rather. Grace makes us Christians unique, and like I said, it ought to be something that we are ruled by, the way we live our lives, a lifestyle. It's something that we soak in. As, you know, recipients are recipients of God's grace. At the same time, we give it out too. 
we get, but we also reflect that grace to the people around, and we are to be recognized. I know in the Old Testament, they were, I mean, in the early church, they were called the people of the way. And I wonder if we can be called the people of grace today. One of my favorite groups is U2 and of course Bono the lead singer uh, in an interview and he's if you he's a pretty strong Christian and he he says this in an interview the most powerful idea that's entered the world in the in the last few thousand years is the idea of grace it is the reason i want to be a christian i know it's just such a challenge because you you talk about the reason for being a disciple of Christ. And can you really say that grace that he has shown me is one of the main reasons I follow Christ? Of course, the most common definition is God's unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. It's unmerited, something we really don't deserve at all, but it's something that God gives or pours out on each and every one of us. It's not something we can work towards or deserve as such. It's something that he gives us, uh, like willingly gives us. Doesn't hold back when it comes to that. Christianity is actually rooted, rooted and built on grace itself. Verse 1 and 2, it says, if you look at this, it's this whole idea of this guy going out. And when he goes out, he, he, uh, he hires these workers and he agrees to pay them. Verse 1 and 2, he agrees to pay them a denarius. And then he sends them into his uh, vineyard. And of course, this scene is pretty uh, common back in Jesus' day. And, and, and I think that's the whole point of parables. He uses everyday scenarios to, to explain, to make a point as such. You know, and... It, you always, I always uh, equate that to like a temp agency, basically. You know, it's like people, and I know in India we see this very often, and these people are just, they just go hang out in the mornings waiting for people to come and hire them because everybody comes there and hires them during the day. And if you wanted someone to work your field or to do something, you just go there and say, hey, I need five people today to help, and so five people would come. And so he goes there, these, these daily laborers, or sometimes they get hired for a week, or sometimes they get hired for a whole month. It really doesn't matter, but the point is this. They aren't really uh, skilled in a particular trade or anything of that sort. But one thing they do is they work hard. You know, they work hard, and they are dependent on being hired for either, whether it's that day or the week or whatever. So you get the general idea, and so this person goes out and probably starts the workday, typically starts around 6 o'clock, and so he probably goes out a little earlier, that, earlier than that. He goes out there, gathers these people, the few people, and he sends them to his vineyard. Now, working in the vineyard is pretty hard. If you've done any kind of work in a rural uh, farm, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I was talking, who was it? He was, uh, what was it, asparagus? He'd go, I don't know, pluck asparagus, cut asparagus. What do you call it? You just cut it off? Okay, I never knew. I thought asparagus grew on trees. But I really did. I know how to eat them. But you had to go and cut them before they get whatever. But it's a lot of, it's hard work in 100 degree weather. And the, the owner agrees. I mean, they get to an agreement of paying them. I'll pay you one denarius and again, or one denarium. And now that's for the whole day of work. And if you realize, that's really generous. For It's not daily wage. It's, it's really generous compared to daily wage that they normally make. And so he, he probably has 
made this deal and they of course are excited about it because they're getting a good, uh, good deal for the day. And so they go and start working. And then you read in verse, uh, verses 3 to 7, this guy probably has a bigger field and realizes he needs more workers. And so what does he do? He goes out there in verse 3 and he says uh, about 9 in the morning he went out there and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in the vineyard and I will pay you what is right. And so they went. You realize that here there's no negotiation when it comes to the wage or the pay for the day. He just says, I will pay you what's right. And they go because I have no doubt that these guys probably trusted what this man already says. They trusted him. I don't know if they knew him before or not, but he probably had a reputation for being a fair uh, owner as such. Verse 6, he says, he went out again and found still others there. And it says they're doing nothing, but that does not imply laziness. But if you read the portion, it just simply says that they've been waiting there, but no one's come and taken them, basically. And so it's not that they're being lazy, but he does this. It doesn't imply laziness. Now, he does this. They start at 6, this first group, then he goes out at 9, and then he goes out at 12, and he goes out at 3, and then he goes out literally on the 11th hour, which is probably like 5 o'clock. And then brings the people in. The 11th hour, which normally always is the, is the time where you wind down. Everything winds down as such. As you get ready to be done. But he goes and hires these people for just this one hour. And he pays them the same wage. So you basically have these two groups of people. The first group that was hired at the beginning of the day that, that they went and they negotiated a wage and that's where they went. And the second group of the people who went to work without having signed a contract as such. The second group just go because you trust the guy and his goodness and the fact that he is, is trustworthy, I guess. And then you come to the part where in verse 8 where he starts paying the people now. It's the end of the day. Now he starts paying people. And of course, the typical thing to do is you start with the person who came first and you pay them first. You know, they've been there the longest, so you, you pay them first. But Jesus, of course, switches everything around or this owner switches everything around and he says, Hey, you know what? The last. We'll start with the, with the last. And of course, you already get this sense of confusion there because they're not used to this, Right? And you get this sense of confusion where, where he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't say it directly right at them what's going to happen. But he's telling them, you know what? These guys are going to get done first. These guys come along and let's just say they all get the first a denarium or whatever. They get the $100. Let's put it that way. They got one hour. They worked one hour. And of course... They paid $100. And of course, these guys who have been working the whole day, they have this anticipation that the Bible says that, you know, they, if these guys who worked only one hour got 100 bucks, what they promised us, by the time it comes to us, we're going to get a big paycheck at the end of the day. And of course, this anticipation soon turns to disappointment because they get paid the same exact thing that these people who worked one hour. And if you see their response in verse 11, I mean, they, they grumble and they complain. And we see the attitudes of these, these workers who are excited. And soon enough, it just kind of goes south. Because what do they say in verse 9? The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came forward. Um, verse 11, sorry. When they received it, that's these guys, these early morning guys. 
When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Summarize that. Come on, guys. He's just telling them, come on, you're not being fair. This is not fair. I've been working the whole day. And here these guys have only come for one hour. And you have made them equal to us and paid us the same thing. That is just not fair. And I don't blame. I'm, I'm, I can see why they're doing that. And if many of us read the passage, we kind of sympathize with them too, right? Because it just doesn't seem fair for these guys who worked one hour to get the same wage as those who have worked hard for 12 hours. And we understand their complaint. But then you see the owner's response in verse 13. He, he answered one of them. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Didn't I have or don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you, or are you envious because I am generous? The owner's response was simple, yet it hit at the at the source of their discontentment, actually. Because before this time, the wage that these guys agreed to was more than fair. It was really generous, actually. You know, it was a pretty generous wage, and they were, they were happy and excited, and everything was okay. Both sides had lived up to their expectations of the deal. I mean, he, they agreed to work for 100 bucks, and he gave them the 100 bucks, basically. But you realize here that the owner, he says what? Don't I have the right to do what I want to with my money? It's my business basically, right? But instead of, instead of admiring him for his generosity, they complain about how unfair he's being. Again, this is just a clear example of God's grace but it also exposes our hearts or the hearts of people who sometimes, who we sometimes complain as, God, this is just unfair. Because Jesus shows that while they seem to want justice, and they probably genuinely feel that they have been treated unfairly, he showed them that what was really bothering them was not that the lack of justice, but what was really bothering them was the generosity of the father of the farmer. But that's exactly what grace is, really. They didn't deserve it. But that's what grace is all about, totally undeserved. And that's why grace seems so unfair to us sometimes. Unfair and challenges us. Because it hits sometimes so hard to us because we struggle. To come to grips with the fact that God is gracious to someone who doesn't really deserve it. And an example that really, and I use this in my mind. I mean, I, I, I rehash this several times in my mind because it reminds me about my attitude when it comes. It's, a, uh, it's about these shows that they fixed up this person's house who was, who was struggling and he had 
whatever, I think he was in Dublin Amputee or whatever, and the story is, I remind myself about this story. Double amputee and these people come in and they redo his whole house and everything else and you know and there's this big reveal and everybody you know is there who's worked hard and everybody's rejoicing but soon enough there are people who says why did he deserve it there was someone else who deserved it more and I wonder how many times you know if we're honest how many times are we really bothered by God's grace being poured out into someone else when you feel like you deserve it a little more I wonder if we can truly reflect on our, on our hearts and, 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 and really be honest. If I had to ask you the question, when is the last time you rejoiced with God's blessing on someone else's life rather than say, I deserve it a little more? Why is the other guy blessed when I work so hard? Don't I deserve it a little more? But that is exactly the nature of grace. Genuinely rejoicing, celebrating the success of someone else rather than saying, why is it not me, God? Grace reminds us, I've got three points to conclude in. Grace reminds us, especially in this parable, that God's favor is free and it's a gift. It's free. It can never be earned. It can never, never be earned it is shown or given to us free with no strings attached. And that's why it goes against everything we, we, we know as humans today. Because we ought to give with no strings attached. But very often we give of ourselves with this, with this expectation that comes back too. Do we really give without expectation or expecting anything back? Oh, I'm being good and I'm being generous to this person right here because I know when I need, you know, the, you have these expectations, it's normal, but have we really given without any expectations? I serve because I want that, you know, maybe I don't, I don't want to be on stage and I don't need all that recognition, but at least recognize that I'm here. Yes, it's good. As we ought to recognize, but I don't do it for that reason. I don't serve because I, I need recognition or anything else. God gives grace. Grace is undeserved. It's nothing we can do to earn. There's nothing we can do to earn God's grace or his favor. I mean, every other, I mean, you think about other religions as such. You know, each one offers, the, the Buddhists have the four noble truths of what we call the eightfold path. I mean, of course, the Hinduism talks about karma and doing good stuff and then you get blessed or whatever, you know. And then you talk about that. Even the Jews, they, they were all bent out of shape. But then they thought that if they kept the covenant, then God would bless them. Yes, but you're missing the whole point here. You cannot work to earn God's grace. You cannot earn to, I mean, work to, to get God's approval. Let's not make a list in our own way today at church. Don't make your own list that if I do this, 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 God will approve of me. God's grace is not something we earn for. And like I said, it's just totally uh, against everything we learn in the world today. We got to work to get something, but that's not it. We just can't work to earn God's grace. It is a free gift. It is a free gift. Again, I'm not saying don't work hard. It's a good principle. You work hard, you will be blessed. Yes, you get a paycheck at the end. You do that. But recognize when it comes to God's grace... 
It's not how much you try. It's not how much you try. It's something. It's how much you are willing to receive. There's a difference between the two. I've met so many people who struggle to receive a gift sometimes. But you got to learn to receive God's grace. That's all it is. We want to try and prove that we deserve this. It's not the way it goes. We live our life trying to be more like Christ, not to earn his favor. It's because he has poured out his grace in our lives. Now we live automatically. We try and become more like him. It's a result of grace being poured out into our lives. It's a free gift. Think about it. Jesus on the cross, he says, it is what? Finished. There's nothing you can add to that. There's nothing you can add to get that freedom. He's already done it. All we got to do is receive it. That's grace. Grace is free. Don't try and earn it. Grace is free, totally undeserved and available to all. And that's what it comes to next. The second thing that grace does, grace is free, yes, but grace also adds value and dignity to our lives. It keeps us from looking down on ourselves and it basically elevates us and makes us equal to everybody else. Because what the owner did there was treat everybody equally. That's what grace does to each one of us. It treats us all the same. It doesn't pick and choose whom they pour out a favor on. It's on everybody. Grace adds value and dignity to our lives. And if we struggle with feelings of incompetence and not being good enough, Understand, that's why we have grace. That's why we have grace in place. That's the reason there is grace. It's not like these people were not, I mean, the Bible says they were doing nothing really, right? He says, you're doing nothing. And they said, no, we're not doing anything. We're not doing nothing or being lazy. We're waiting for someone to take us. If you've been around, and I know my brother was six years older to me, and so I always played at a higher level because I had to compete with all of them. But I was always the last person picked on the team, too. But that's why, instead of being bitter about it, it motivated me to do better because I wanted to show them up, basically, that I could hang with those people. But if you've ever had those feelings of what it means and know what it means to be picked last, please realize God's grace is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter when you're picked. He treats you equal. Treats you equal to everybody else. They didn't have much to, you know, you keep going down from the guy who's picked at 11th, the 11th hour as such. Didn't have much to offer. They probably weren't, the reason they weren't picked was because they probably weren't the 4.0 GPA students, right? They weren't the ones who were skilled at doing this or whatever. But it doesn't matter when it comes to God. His grace equalizes, like it's that great equalizer. His grace adds that value to our lives. It doesn't matter. He sees us just the same. What he was looking for is these people to be ready and available. That's all it is. Ready and available. If they had walked away and says, okay, nobody's picked us after six hours. We may as well go home. Another waste of day. No, they hung out there waiting, available. All we got to do, and let me put this 
if there's any responsibility when it comes for our responsibility when it comes to grace is being ready and available to receive it that's it that's our responsibility that's the only thing we really need to do is to be willing to accept it that's it be available be willing even in the 11th hour to be a recipient of god's grace our confidence really in is not our confidence is not based on what we have to offer god really it's what god really offers me that's what our confidence is in our value is in what god offers us not on not based on who we are at all it's on what god gives us and the truth is at the end at the end of time when we are called up before god he isn't going to pick only those smart people and say hey see what this person has done or whatever it's all the same somehow we have this idea that we want to get different crowns how many how many stones in our crown or whatever you know what i'm talking about and we all think we got to earn that level in heaven you know somehow i'm going to go in the you know whatever the penthouse whatever in heaven why we earning things like that that's not what he's talking about all he's talking about at the end of the time he's looking for what well done good and faithful that's it Amen. being ready faithfulness is being willing to accept his free gift of grace be willing to accept that free gift of gift of grace and honestly he poured out his grace on people like Moses he poured out his grace on people like David he poured out his grace on the disciples he pours out his grace on each and every one of us doesn't matter where we come from what we've done in life Amen. his grace is available to everybody it doesn't really the difference it wasn't because they were superheroes as such that they got God's grace what really the difference i see between many of us and the people there is how they express their love for god yeah. that was the difference it's how much they loved god that's all we read really they didn't deserve it neither do we deserve it so do not be discouraged do not be envious when god's grace is poured out on someone else realize that you are as valuable to him as the other person grace please understand god's grace will never overlook you he will never overlook you he will never forget you god's grace is available to each and every one so quit worrying about what you can offer god be ready to receive what he is giving you the third thing i want to say is god's grace is free gift that we can't earn it's something that he gives to everybody never forgets as that value and please realize that grace the best part about grace is the fact that it gives us all second chances grace gives us all a second chance and that's the story of my life if it god didn't give me second third fourth fifth chances i really wouldn't be here today because i've blown it many times but his grace hits that reset button in my life please realize some people some people do this christians i'm talking about you know they know grace and they know everything else and then somehow in the middle they think oh, you know i've received salvation and everything else but now i've got to work hard to keep that salvation I don't know. 
I don't think that's really biblical where you've got to work hard and beat yourself up. Yes, you've got to discipline yourself. I'm not talking about that. But please realize God's grace, he's not going to take his grace away from you. You can choose to walk away. That's a total different story. But God's grace is there for you. Don't try and fight, I mean, try and fight the urge to earn and keep that grace. He will always give us second chances. That's what it says. That's what the story, the Bible is all about. People who blew it, but God gave them second chance. I mean, Abraham blew it like a hundred times. We went through David. David blew it like a hundred times too. But that did not, please listen, it did not stop God from accomplishing what he had planned for their lives. Because in spite of what went wrong, they knew what it meant to live in and under God's grace. That's what grace does, restores the value, the purpose for our lives. That's why we need to receive his grace because it gives us second chances. Don't quit. Because you think God's grace is never going to be enough to cover it this time. I'm nearly blown it now. God's grace gives us second chances. Please realize only Jesus can hit that reset button in your life. Only Jesus can. So quit trying to do it on your own. I mean, you, you talk about the person who wrote John Newton being who, I mean, he was a slave trader, brutal slave trader. He turned against God, turned against everything he knew, got caught up in every uh, vice that was available back then. Ended up being the slave trader, yet in the midst of all this, right in his 30s, God got a hold of his life. And then he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. That saved a wretch like me. One of the movies I grew up watching and which has impacted my life is The Cross and the Switchblade. If I've not said that before, you probably know it. The Cross and the Switchblade tells the story of Nicky Cruz, who was this gangster, this, this really scary gangster who was there in New York. Yet this pastor, David Wilkerson, goes and ministers to him and shows him God's love. And this really hardened Nicky Cruz gangster comes to know God's love through it. And then it's only God that sees him through. That's the scandalous nature I have seen firsthand. I've ministered in prisons for a number of times and I've seen hardened criminals come down before the altar crying and sobbing because they know what it is. Grace God offers them. Only grace can change and transform lives and it, it just messes with them so much. You can't deny it anymore. God's grace is the only thing that can give them second chances, gives them that hope. And you see these people, that's why I said it's scary. It's scary to see what grace can really accomplish in a person's life if he's available. It's scary to see. It, it, it challenges us. Because I've been this great guy. I've been this good boy, good boy who's been born and brought up in the church. I deserve God's grace more than this person who's gone and wasted all his years. Like the big older brother, right? And the younger prodigal. Somehow we feel we deserve grace more than the others. Grace gives us all, all second chances. Give Peter, someone who denied Jesus, a second chance. And on that rock he built his church. It gave Paul, a person who murdered and persecuted Christians, a second chance. And at the end of his life, he says, I was the chief of sinners. Yet God poured out his grace in his life. 
please, I need to throw this in there before we go. Grace gives us second chances. Yes, third, fourth chances. But let me say this too. Grace is not an excuse to keep sinning. Just because God gives grace, it's not an excuse. Will he ever deny you? I don't think he ever will deny you as such. But don't be like what God talks, I mean what Paul talks about to the Roman church. Just because we have grace, you know, therefore we can sin more. Because when we sin more, there's more grace available to us. That's not what really he was, he, they meant by grace. Please don't ever use God's grace or abuse God's grace. On the other hand, don't, don't ever get so arrogant and say that we deserve God's grace more than the people out there too. God's grace is available to everybody. Please, please, please don't fall into the trap of the enemy because this is what he causes. This is what he uses to stir discontentment just like those workers. He uses the fact that he pours out grace on someone else and the devil whispers into our heads that God doesn't love us enough. He loves them more. That's not who God is and that's not what grace is about at all. It's not something we earn. It's a free gift. It adds value and dignity to our life. It keeps us from looking down on ourselves. The truth is grace is humbling too because when you really realize you don't deserve it, it humbles you. Grace gives us all second chances. That's the challenge of grace. That's the scandalous nature of grace and as we reflect on grace, I want, to think, I want you to think with me, how often have we been like the older son in that story of the prodigal? Where we've hated the fact that the undeserving got blessed. He just wasted everything he had and now you're going to go cut what, sacrifice this fattened calf and everything else and bless him again. How often have we been like Jonah and we've run away and pouted in our corner because you know God was going to bail them out even though they were such wretched sinners as such. People of Nineveh, I mean, they plundered Israel. They, they desecrated everything. They were the biggest jerks ever. And now you're going to save them, God? How often have we been like that towards people who've been unfair to us? People who attacked our character or our, our whatever. How many times are we going to be envious of God's generosity? Please understand, that's what grace is all about, really. It provokes us. Yet we got to realize, I don't deserve it as much as they. Bow your heads with me real quick. Grace sometimes feels so unfair. Grace sometimes feels so unfair. And let's fight what comes naturally to us to being offended by God Himself because. 
he's being unfair to someone else. Because he's been unfair to us and pouring out his grace on someone else who doesn't deserve it. Honestly, church, instead of being offended by God, sometimes we just need to get off our the high horse as such of in spiritual, you know, this pedestal that we set ourselves up on. Get off that and sometimes just reflect what grace is all about. Grace ought to set us apart from every other worldview out there. It really ought to be something that sets us apart from everything else. And if you, if you read about everything that's happening around us and some of these new uh, religions and groups that have started around, they try and copy what grace is. But realize that we, the church, are the true, you know, the ones who dispense grace. Please don't ever look for those who deserve stuff. Jesus started with those who deserved it the least. In this parable, but also in the way he lived his life. Tax collectors, fishermen, prostitutes. And then he worked his way up from there. something that I live my life by and something that not just live my life by I don't want to stay here saying I'm great at this but it's something that I, I remind myself of grace costs everything to the giver but nothing to the receiver it's given to those who don't deserve it they barely recognize it and almost never appreciate it but that's what this challenge of grace is all about. In a world that demands justice and, uh, you know, revenge or retribution, God reaches out with grace. I pray that as a church, and I've prayed this prayer so many times, and I keep praying this prayer. That we as a church will be so committed to, to showing God's grace. It'll be evident in everything we say and we do. Not just within the body. Not just to each other. Yes, it starts here to each other. But it also reaches out to those on the outside. As a church and as individuals, I pray that we will be committed to being people, people of grace. We're going to be partaking of communion uh, in a couple of minutes, but... But even as we come forward and, and receive these, these
these elements as such. I want you first to realize that you didn't do anything to deserve his grace. He died on that cross saying it is finished. Don't try and earn it. Just receive it and realize that you because you've been good your whole life, you deserve it more than the person next to you. Think about that, but also I want you to reflect on the other part. I have freely received, do I freely give? Do I withhold being gracious? Do I withhold reflecting God's grace? Because I think they don't, you know, they don't meet up to the, the standard that I think they need to be. Or they're not humble enough to receive God's grace. They're not humble enough to receive my, I mean, for me to be gracious to them. Please realize, grace is all about the giver, not about the recipient at all. 